Hello and welcome to Thought Starters, the podcast where we hear from culture's brightest thinkers and creatives to explore what inspires and delights them, all brought to you from White City Place. I've been a writer and editor for about a decade now, and writing can seem easy, but it's famously incredibly difficult. So I'm fascinated by how other people approach the excitement or the horror of a blank page. Farron Gibson is a multi-talented art historian, author and host of the Art Matters podcast. And what I love about her podcast, which explores what art history and visual culture can tell us about the world around us, is its breadth. It covers everything from the cultural significance of postage stamps all the way to vulvas. She just finished writing her first book, The Ultimate Art Museum, which is an incredible museum and a book for young readers published by Fiden. With an academic brain as extraordinary as hers, I wanted to know how Ferrin found trying to condense and update that breadth of knowledge, first into any kind of book, but also, and here's the tricky part, one written for children to read and understand. She started by telling me where the initial idea came from. It's a museum in a book uh, aimed at kids. So about 10 years ago now, Fiden released the art museum, which I now refer to as the adult book. (laughs) Um, And they wanted to do another version of that that's aimed at a younger audience. So the book is aimed at 8 to 14-year-olds thereabouts. And it's, it's the idea is like, what if you could create the museum of your dreams, anything you want, but it lives in a book. So the experience of going through the book is meant to be like walking through a museum and looking at art and art history in that way. So nice. When when were you approached to start work on it? Uh, I started talking to Fiden about it last summer, so summer 2020, and I worked on it from then through to the beginning of 2021, and uh, yeah, now now it's out. That doesn't seem like a very long time to make what seems to be, is it a 300-ish page book? Yes, 40,000 years of art and 300 <laughs> plus artworks. It was it was a crunch <laughs> uh, to get it all done. They had started, um, because it's kind of related to the adult book, it, it wasn't totally starting from scratch in terms of um, the concept of what they wanted to achieve and the kinds of artworks that, th- there was a blueprint essentially. Um, so they had already done a lot of the work that comes when you develop an idea up to the point of speaking to me and saying, hey, would you like to to write this? Um, saying that, um, I, I arranged the book how I wanted and I did kind of start from scratch with how I approached it. Um, so it was a lot of work in a short period of time, but it wasn't like we thought of the idea you know, a year ago and then started from scratch. Yeah, Yeah, there was a slight framework there. Yeah, exactly. And so were you aware of the the adult book, if you will, beforehand? (laughs) Yes, I'd seen it. Um, I I had a copy of a different book because they do so many takes um, on ways into art history. Uh, So I had a copy of 30,000 Years of Art. But yes, I was aware of the the art museum before. there's There's like a condensed version and then there's like a huge one that's like the size of a table that's like got just hundreds and hundreds of images oh yeah those massive books that yeah. they put out that yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that you'd buy online because you think they're small and then they're and, then it, yeah. and needs a pallet to get into your yeah. house and you're like oops <laughs> I don't even know if they sell that one anymore I know they sell the the more let's say normal sized version yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was it that so what was the kind of brief that they gave you they obviously said like we did this book already mm-hmm. 10 years ago we'd like to communicate what's in this book but to children that's quite a huge brief and was there anything beyond that that they said was important for them to or to be included in this new book what I loved about this process is that 
the team was so open to me doing nearly whatever I wanted, which, you know, for me is the perfect cool. job. <laughs> um, they they said there was this an adult book. They had a um, they said, hey, we've kind of arranged what, how we think it could go, but you can totally throw that out and do what you want. And so I looked at um, their idea that they had started with, which was three different wings, which we ended up keeping, and they had put some artworks into it and grouped some of the galleries and that sort of thing. So I looked at that. I looked at the original adult book and how that was structured, which didn't have the wings. It was just all galleries. And then I looked at real museum layouts. I looked at um, art history curriculums and just searched all around. And I thought, what is a way that I can organize this museum so that it makes sense for kids and that it really gives a view into different cultures and not just different cultures, but different cultures across time. Because I find that um, one of the things that happens a lot in art history survey courses and that sort of things is that you get European art history is split up in all these different lessons in all these different sections. And then there's like one section on Indian art and it encompasses like the dawn of time to contemporary Indian art in this like one yeah. segment. And so what I wanted to do with the book was to split that up and say, let's look at ancient art. Let's look at early modern. Let's look at contemporary, modern and contemporary art. And each of these cultures like have different cultures represented across all of it. So in, in the Ultimate Art Museum, we see someone like Amrita Shergill, a modern Indian artist, where she belongs in the, in the modern and contemporary art section. And then we can see the conversations that she's having in her work in context with other artists around the same time across the world, which I thought was interesting. So anyway, saying all that to say, they let me do pretty much whatever I want. And then there were people that I spoke to on at the Fiden, you know, on the Fiden team who said, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, what if you did this instead? That sort of thing. I've only seen the PDF of, of the book, but just reading the chapters, I, it was it's the language that I recognize so much from being at school. It's it's reading about very complex things in history, but kind of using words that you use as a kid, like scary mm -hmm. or um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of changing the way that you speak entirely to appeal to actually quite a, if it is for eight to fourteen year olds that's quite a, a broad spectrum of mm -hmm. like sort of um literary sort of com competency really yeah but I know that you've also got a son mm -hmm. and obviously you were once a child but how do you you know switch your academic brain and the sort of academic way of writing into writing something that a child can not just understand but enjoy and learn from at the same time so I I thought about this. Um, I mean, it helped to have editors who work on children's books because they are constantly, um, like, sense-checking. Like, does this apply to the audience? So that helped. And I did look at other children's books in the factual space. Um, I think that's a good way of kind of saying what is um, not normal, but, like, how do people write in these sorts of things? But then I was also conscious, I didn't want to talk down to kids and mm -hmm. I didn't want to oversimplify things. And throughout the process, when maybe someone was like, oh, can you pull back on maybe the information on this? It turned out later that maybe sometimes that information was really necessary to understand other things later. So I tried to talk in a kind of conversational way. So really, I feel like Older audiences could enjoy the book, actually. Um, 
but it is definitely there are places where you can tell like this is aimed at kids <laughs> yeah yeah but actually the, maybe it's slightly embarrassing when I was reading it I was like god I wish all history books were written like this because I was actually like yeah. understanding it <laughs> yeah <It was> lovely <laughs> but like isn't that the thing though like you should understand things yeah yeah like and so you asked about like switching from my academic writing to this my supervisor gets on to me sometimes about like he's like you know you write a lot for a general audience. You have to remember to switch your mindset when you're doing your PhD stuff. So I actually get more in trouble the other way. <laughs> but I'm like, why? You know, why? Why can't things just be easy to read? Totally. Yeah. And also for children, um, children hate being talked down to. And yeah. they like being treated like adults. So they love it, actually, don't they? And they sort of, I mean, when you're doing history as a child, I mean, I remember being, when when the the sort of, grisly details of history were revealed it makes you interested mm -hmm. and it kind of you feel more grown up for learning about those things mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it makes you actually really engaged with with everything that's happened in the world in a way that you're less so with something like you know how sand dunes are formed when you're learning about yeah. geography or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's interesting so yeah. I think um yeah there's definitely ways of communicating to a child I suppose that are it's giving them that kind of um responsibility to learn yeah and to listen and to understand um, you mentioned you were looking at other sort of children's reference or children's history books, was it? Yeah, if I didn't have done a couple of other books um, about like Bones, there's one, The Book of Bones. My son loves that one. There's, they've done one about constellations. They did one on uh, periodic table of elements. So I just kind of um, looked through some of their other work that they've done to see how those authors have talked about some of, because some things are quite complex like I don't know explaining mythology or uh, definitely explaining like chemistry and elements and stuff Oof. yeah yeah <laughs> chemistry was so hard for me so um, difficult. <laughs> awful like traumatized by my <laughs> chemistry class so I looked at um those things to ju just to see the types of language and especially um definitely looking to see like okay how big a word can you use <laughs> you know when you're because sometimes you're like this is the word I need man like can the kids get with this but yeah just getting a sense like at school when you uh, learn about photosynthesis and your mind's blown at just how long that word yeah, is and you're yeah. like god I'm clever now yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> check yeah. me out spelling this <laughs> um did you also go I mean I, I assume that you've got loads of books at home you know how old is your is your son he's you know five asking? he's yeah, five winter. so he's probably what's he what kind of books is he reading and what kind of things do you would you like him to read well you know what happens and I don't I don't know if this is everyone or just like me and my husband, but when you have a kid, I'll just say when you have a kid, you're like, I'm going to go back to all the stuff I thought was cool. So yeah. he's been watching like the original Power Rangers and like stuff like that, you know. So when it comes to books, I think back to like the books I really liked as a kid. Um, and there's these there's these books. The author's name, I think, is um, John Shetska, I want to say. Um, and he writes these books that are like postmodern takes on fairy tales. So he has this one collection called The Stinky Cheese Man and other odd fairy tales. There's one um, called The Real Story of the Three Little Pigs, and it tells it from the perspective of the wolf. And the wolf is like, it's not what you think. Like, <laughs> And so I like these kind of like crazy takes on yeah. things. I think it's playful um, and it's just fun. And then, of course, there's classics like... Um, giving tree or are you my mother you know so we have a real kind of range of things like that yeah 
Yeah, so educational and just sort of more kind of more like fun bedtime story yeah. kind of books. Yeah. So lately, I mean, and he picks what he wants to read. So uh, speaking of Fiden, Fiden sent me a lot of books as I was working on this project. So I have now a lot of really nice kids books. For Great. Um, they had they did one on flags, like um, nautical flags, and it includes what the different flags mean and the al- the Morse code symbols and like the alphabet, like alpha. Bravo, Charlie, that alphabet. And so sometimes at night, he's like, yeah, I want to read about the flags. And we'll be like, all right, well, this is the flag for um, when you're in distress. And, you know, (laughs) yeah, so it's up to him. Important information to have. Yeah, I guess, I guess. And it's so sweet as a child when you just want to, you just, you know, you casually want to pick up a book about flags. I feel sad that that's not something I would do now. (laughs) Maybe I should, but no, a book on the phonetic alphabet before bed doesn't sound like a really appealing thing. I'll just have Love Island and a glass of wine and then pass away. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like, yeah, my nights. Yeah. so also, because you started work on this in summer 2020, which is just out of probably the first lockdown, mm-hmm. um, but obviously still in a very hectic year, mm-hmm. um, what was were you able to actually go to galleries and bookshops for the research phase of this, or was it really just no. based on flat plans and stuff? Yeah, but I looked at um, plans I could find online, um, that sort of thing. So I looked at, like, the Met. I looked at a bunch of different museums, the Louvre. Can't remember which all ones now. Uh, but, no, didn't physically go to any spaces except for I did end up at the RA last year to do a piece on um, the summer exhibition slash <laughs> winter exhibition. But that's about it, yeah. Was do you, Before lockdown, were you, would you kind of frequent museums anyway? Are you a museum goer? Yeah, I've been to... I've been to a lot of museums in London. I don't know if I say I go frequently um, because my work <laughs> has always been around looking at art and museum things a lot. So I think for me, the weekends are time to do something else. Yes. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I used to work in a record store and I loved music before working there. And then when I worked there, I was just so surrounded by music that I was like, I just don't want to listen to anything because <laughs> it's just too overwhelming. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Sometimes if you're... And then my work is like revolves around kind of commissioning writers and and working on articles. I now don't really want to read. Yeah, I can see that. And that must be a similar thing yeah. if you're just concentrating on art all week. You don't really want to yeah. necessarily because during the week I may be at a museum for do, like doing a talk or an event or this or that, and then at, you know during the day I'm writing or doing whatever around art. So then outside of that, I'm probably I don't know eating. <laughs> just <laughs> eating what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you take your son to museums? Yes, um, but he at his age, um, we've done like transport museum. Oh yeah, yeah. This weekend we're going to the science museum. He's Great. Been very excited. He said he's going to trick people by acting like a robot. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then I think um, I think we're gonna get to some art museums here soon too over the summer because he's he's very interested in it. He has opinions about it, which I find very interesting. Um, he looks at artwork, like if we bring something in the house or in the in the book, for example, and he'll say, I feel like this emotion is happening or I feel like this person is doing this and this is good. So it's really interesting to hear wow. his opinions about it. Yeah, I'm like, come on, be an art historian. <laughs> why, why do you think it's important for kids to go and see not just um, modern art or, you know, art in general, but kind of art museums that kind of focus more on the history of our ancient art mm-hmm. why, why is that important for kids to go and see and understand and learn from a lot of the things that we know about the past 
come from art and objects. I think people, you know, you kind of forget that because you think about it as history, but like a lot of the history we have comes through writings, yes, and also through through objects. Um, and so it's a really interesting way to learn about the world, the things that have happened, and popular culture across different times. So I think for me, I really liked history when I was in school because um, it's like stories, you know, which I think is like, who doesn't like stories? And then when I discovered art history, I was like, what? Stories have pictures? This is crazy. This is great. <laughs> this is great. So I just think, um, yeah, it's just an exciting way to engage with like the world. And when you know what's happened before, you can be a more informed person in your decision making moving forward. I was listening to a podcast last night about um, cave paintings mm -hmm. and I suddenly found myself being very moved because they were talking about how um, ancient people would live in the kind of like the in the front of caves because it was too dangerous to go in the back. But they actually found all the artwork in, in mm -hmm. the very dangerous parts of the back of the cave, mm -hmm. which means that they were creating art not to kind of make signs or anything, but it was like kind of like a personal thing and they were making art that maybe no one else would have even seen until yeah. it was discovered which is quite moving. And I think, especially looking at the book that you've created, when you see art created in an ancient time, it does make you feel quite, well, it makes you feel like there's a, there's a similarity uh, between humans now and humans back then. Of course, they're mm -hmm. similar, but it, it kind of brings, it feels like you're closer in a way. It feels, you know, if you think about it too hard, it's really incredible. You wonder, how are these people doing these things? You start really getting into like, what was their life like? The, in the very first gallery in the book, there are these little carvings. There's like a lion man. Don't you know? We don't know what it was. It was for it's probably forty thousand years old, I think. But you start imagining like you, a, a real person held and made this thing, and they were walking around Europe somewhere. Like what were the, What was their life like? What were they doing? You see these things, these um, weights that they would put on arrows to make the arrows go further uh, during hunting. And you're like, wow, like just like shooting what? Mammoths? Like <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just really interesting to think of the overlap of, in, of human history with like things that are so far gone that you can't even imagine that. And then in 40,000 years from now, what will the earth look like? You know, what yeah. the things that we're dealing with today, this microphone or whatever is on this table, this is like something that we don't think about at all as we're sitting here, but could be someone's artifact in 40,000 years. It's really interesting. That just boggles my mind. Yeah. And also it can be overwhelming if you go somewhere like the British Museum or something and everything is just so old that yeah. the numbers just stop blowing you away. You're like, oh, a couple of thousand years old, boring. Yeah. Like, it just, it's almost too overwhelming for you to process. So you're just kind of... Because you can't conceive that amount of time. No, no. It's, yeah. And I, I think... I think what I was just saying there is interesting, too, in terms of some of these things are like a bowl or a pot that maybe someone was just in their house just cooking with, you know, and now we're all like, look at this thing. That's like, <laughs> you know, it's just very interesting. I think that's amazing. That's why I think it's important to look at art in the everyday and appreciate, you know, that art and pop culture overlap because art is pop culture. Yes. Yeah. And even tools that we use. Mm-hmm 
it doesn't have to be a piece of art, but it's still an interesting because it's it's part of culture because it's something that we use as a tool or something that we. I don't know. I'm thinking of that seagull and Little Mermaid who like finds that fork and yes. he's like, "Look at this!" Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's us about the art from the past. Like, look at this. Yeah, and everything's yeah. important and holds yeah. and, and has relevance. But I suppose you're right. If you isolated one thing, like if you isolated a bowl, and you had a group of people around a table and you said, "This bowl is two thousand years old," and everyone held it or looked at it, mm-hmm. it would maybe almost be more. Um, effective than being surrounded in a museum by tons of it. It's almost like you need to really kind of focus on. That is true. When you walk in sometimes and you see just like a big case full of like a load of things, it is kind of hard to, it's like sensory overload, isn't it? Yeah. It can be, yeah. Um, Going off topic. (laughs) Well, maybe, kind of, sort of. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you've kind of mentioned already the Stinky Cheese Man and the other books, but were there any other books from your childhood or even sort of, I suppose, between the ages of 8 and 14 that you can remember that really stood out for you as being written in a way or designed in a way or just created in a way that made an impression on you in some way or potentially um, got you interested in in art history or writing or anything like that? Um, You know, I think about those the books I mentioned earlier and the classics and things I think from the age of eight to 14 honestly I didn't like reading um it felt like work to me um and I yeah I I think I got more into reading as an adult um I think I liked it I probably liked it right outside of those age frames to be honest (laughs) I probably liked it up to age eight and then after age 14 but I think that um with the things I was interested in at the time, which was probably around, probably like science I was interested in at that time, had there been a book like The Ultimate Art Museum that applied to my interest at the time, I probably would have just been, oh my God, stuck in it. Like, oh, what is this? Do you remember what book it was when you were sort of in your mid to late teens that kind of got you excited about reading again? Because it, it's a strange time to read at that age, isn't it? Because you're right, you're so you're so immersed in school that it just seems like extra work. Yeah, because in a way. because you are reading, but it's for school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you yeah you are reading things. I think I had a, a pretty long phase of like um, catching up with classics. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm about to read all these Jane Austen books. I'm going to read some Dickens. I'm going to read you know things like that um, because I really like those kinds of like period books and those sort of things so I think I had a a phase of doing that cool yeah Yeah. it's quite heavy going well I don't know because I liked the movies as a kid (laughs) um I really liked like Sense and Sensibility and uh Pride and Prejudice was later the one that the one that I liked the Keira Knightley one yes um which is the correct one to like um, no. Interesting. <laughs> why, do, why do you say that? I'm very interested. No, people have strong opinions about this. I think it's because it's the first one I've saw, I've seen, and I actually haven't seen the other one yet. So maybe I would love the other the one. The long one. Yeah, the, right, the yeah. miniseries. Yeah, so I haven't yeah. seen that one either. It's yeah. too long. But the Kieran, I just love it so much. I've seen it like 1,000 times. That is so good. <laughs> I think the person who designed that, this is going way off topic, the person who designed that house that they live in, basically yeah. the person who did the set and the props should yeah. just win like a million Oscars. Like in perpetuity, just like every oh. year win an Oscar. Yeah, every year. <laughs> every year from now on. Yeah. <laughs> just keep going back to the same films every award ceremony. <laughs> oh, it's just perfect. Yeah, I love it. Although a friend of mine says that um, they've got a real problem with Keira Knightley's hair because mm. when she's filmed from the back, yes. you can see that she's got a wig on. And it's like there's like really? there's like hair sticking out. She's got like a kind of like a buzz cut, and you can see there's like hair. Anyway, I've never I've I'll never known. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
It's like kind of mod anyway. No, I can't. I don't even want to see the clip because no, you're just, right. I should yeah. have mentioned it. Uh, you know what? When she said that to me, I was quite angry, and now I've passed it on to you, and I just forget I've ever said anything. Like I really regret saying that. I hate when someone does that. Idiot. <laughs> yes. Uh, when you're writing, mm-hmm. so you must be lovely to have finished a project yes. like this because finishing a project is one of the best feelings of all time, especially when it goes well. Um, but when you're kind of immersed in a large project of this scale, or I suppose, you know, in your PhD or anything where it, it needs a lot of writing. What's your process of just getting your head down and getting it done, especially when you've got like a kind of short time frame? Are you a procrastinator? Do you mm-hmm. do Pomodoro? Do you lock your phone in a box? Mm-hmm. What kind of thing do you do to just get that work done? I think when you say um, to me, you should like write a dissertation or write a book, that feels very overwhelming. It feels like a huge like insurmountable task. So for me, I like to break things up into really small chunks. Um, so I say uh, with the Ultimate Art Museum, it was broken up into wings and then those wings into galleries and galleries into rooms. So I just really thought, okay, today I need to, I, I would work out about how long it took me to do something. And then I would just think, right, this week my goal is to finish this gallery or these couple of galleries or what have you. And then I just think about it one thing at a time and then I'm not overwhelmed because if I think about everything I have to do at once, then I start feeling like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that helps me be focused. And then it also knows if, helps me know if I'm on track because if I get to whatever day and I haven't done, you know, X amount of things I had planned to do by that time, then I know I'm that many days behind or yeah. whatever. So that, to me, helps me stay focused. And then it also helps me, you know, if I reach a goal by a, Uh, maybe a little bit earlier than my time, then I can say, you know what, I can like step back for a bit and like have a bit of a break because sometimes it can be really intense. Yeah, being ahead literally never happens when it does. You're like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The feeling of, or even just finishing on time, you know, the the relief (laughs) is like, yeah. But this was, I mean, the Ultimate Art Museum was interesting because I was doing some of the editing and writing at the same time. So one week I might be editing one thing and then the next week I was writing something else and there were lots and lots and lots of drafts like lots of edits um on everything so it's it wasn't necessarily like a linear process Oof, yeah. it just sounds so big it was big it is big it's a lot of 300 something images and in each gallery has to have an introduction each room has an introduction so it's it's a lot to yeah just, but just to get all that done in such a short space of time, would you ever, do you ever feel at the start of a project like that, you're like, I can't do this? Or do you just think this will always get done? I didn't know what it, I mean, I knew what I was signing up to do, but like knowing something abstractly in your mind and doing it are two different things. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, I just, I didn't know that it would be, like as challenging as it was but it's like challenging in a good way and actually really fun to kind of relearn some of these things as you're yeah writing and summarizing them um yeah and also now you've done it Mm -hmm. you do it again well (laughs) (laughs) one immediately yeah (laughs) actually saying that actually I did actually I did actually finish the ultimate art museum and start immediately on a second book Really? I did, yeah. Which I just handed in the second draft of that yesterday. Can you talk about it? Yeah, yeah. 
So that's exclusive because um, it's not <laughs> announced yet, but it's called Women's Work. It's a book about um, women artists working in textiles and ceramics. Uh, that'll be out next year. Amazing. Yeah. What do you think would be the biggest compliment or the best feedback you could receive about the Ultimate Art Museum? Um, if I think about that, it would have to come probably in like at the earliest, probably 10 years time. And it would be someone saying like, oh, I read this book as a kid and it made me want to like work in a museum or be an art historian or something like that. That would be the coolest thing. Um, yeah. Or, or you know what, maybe it's also because I tried to really represent different like just a diverse range of people and women and things like that in the book. So it might be someone coming up to me and saying, you know, I got the Ultimate Art Museum and I saw myself and some of the arts in the books, and that meant a lot to me. That would also be good, because I really thought about that as I was writing it. Are any parts of the book sort of stand out to you in that you put a lot of work into speaking about, like, kind of one area in particular? Um, well, I just think, you know, definitely with the balance of women artists, I tried to think, um, you know, who are, who are the women artists that I can include in this conversation about Baroque or about um, whatever thing I was writing about at that time. And then also, um, like I, if there's a, the Rococo uh, gallery, there's a work in there from Thomas Gainsborough. And he's known for kind of his landscapes and his portraits um, of like wealthy people and things like that. And I decided to include a portrait he did of Ignatius, Ignatius Sancho, so it's representation of a black British man in this Rococo gallery. And it's not that maybe the first work that someone would think of for Gainsborough, but I thought it was a really um, nice choice because uh, Sancho was the first black British man to vote, um, vote in England. And I, I don't know, it just felt like a story that I, I could make a choice. I could choose to include that. So that's an example of the kind of, thing I was thinking of um, in different areas across the book. Yeah. So just really important information that other children's books, when they're potentially choosing a more obvious, um, I don't know, story to include, they may have like omitted for just having not really had the research kind of or yeah. the capacity to look at, like just kind of dig a bit further or anything. Well, I think a lot of times we fall into habits of kind of playing the hits, you know, it's like, oh, mm. let's, we're doing a book about art history. So let's definitely include, you know, Starry Starry Night, which is in the book. And let's include uh, the Mona Lisa. That one's not in the book. But, you know, there's a certain yeah. books that you ex um, artworks that you expect to see. And so you get into the habit of showing a lot of the same things and leaving out other potential really cool stories. So, for example, I include Alma Thomas, who was a woman artist, a black woman, um, American woman artist who worked in color field painting, abstract artist. And so I include her with the color field painters. Um, and it talks about how she went to Howard University, a historically black college in, um, in D.C. So it's cool to kind of sprinkle things like that across the book um, and just kind of say, hey, this is more. There's other stories in there. So cool. Thanks. Also, I just, yeah, what you just said about, you know, in 10 years time and someone comes up to you and said that, that that book really sort of made a mark on them. That it's just It's just so lovely and it's true. And that I feel like this book is so important and so... If a kid does pick it up, they're going to learn something, and I that's so. just that's just great. I really, I I really thought so hard and cared so much and like agonized 
over every decision of that book. And I just really hope that people enjoy it. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. Thank you so much, Farron. Thank you. Um, anyone listening, please go and buy this book. It is wonderful. And thank you so much, Farron, for coming in. Thank you. And can't wait to see your next books. I'm Liv Siddle, and you've been listening to Thought Starters. Hit subscribe to find out more about Farron and all the other incredible guests at White City Place. You can also join our growing community by following at White City Place on social media. Thank you.